Good morning. We are real excited. I'm real excited to be here today. Thank you for the chance to share with you guys. I'm here with uh, my wife, Jennifer, and my daughter, Journey. Uh, we've been in Nicaragua now five years. As I watched the video now for the second time today, I'm still shocked at how young I looked there. I didn't have the gray hair that I do now. Um, you know, we went. We were, we were a little naive, I think, as to what we were going to expect. Um, but the one thing that has held true is we said in that video that we were going with the primary purpose was to share the gospel. And it's really easy to get distracted by the poverty. Um, but it's really important not to get distracted by the poverty because their number one need is Jesus. And that's what unites all of us. The number one need here is Jesus, and the number one need there is Jesus. So however it looks, doesn't matter what it looks, it's what it really is, and we all need Jesus. So I um, want to give you a little update as to what's going on. We had no idea what the Lord was going to do with us. We went with an open and willing heart, and after five years, we have a, we have a sports program, a jail ministry. Um, we do a lot of different things, and this here is a picture of our community center. So this is, this is a fascinating project. We're so excited about this because this community center we're building in a neighborhood that uh, two years ago we, we barely went into. So there's Granada, and then there's the poorest section of Granada, a lot of gangs and violence and drugs. Um, it's called Pantanal. And then there's this neighborhood within Pantanal, which is the worst neighborhood in Pantanal, which is the worst area of Granada. And a lot of drugs and violence. Um, one time after a Bible study, I was right on the cusp of this neighborhood, and this was two and a half years ago. And um, I think I've told this story before, even here a couple of years ago, but a uh, young man almost planted a 12-inch knife in the back of my neck while we were in the neighborhood. I didn't know it at the time. Um, but that's what this neighborhood was like. And that was broad daylight. It wasn't even at night. Um, we're now in this neighborhood. And so we're building this community center right in the middle of this neighborhood. We bought a lot. It's on the busiest corner in the neighborhood, people passing by all the time. And we're so excited about this project. So community center, we'll do Bible studies, activities. It's really, it just helps us plant firmly into this neighborhood to give people activities and things to do. And in October, Velocity's coming down to help us uh, build this community center. So we appreciate the team that's going to come down and, and help us do it. But I want to talk about the people in the neighborhood. So the next slide, this is the, the, the exciting part. The buildings are great, but it's about the people, right? And it's the stories. And I want to take a few minutes, um, just a few minutes, because I got a lot I want to share with you and, and settle back. Rob said, since there's no third service after you guys, we got about an hour I can share all I want to share with you right now. So we'll, we'll, we'll try to get through it all. But... Um, Actually, these people, it's, an, it's a fascinating story. So this picture of the guys here. The guys in the blue are one of our soccer teams. So we have a sports program. We have between 1,000 and 1,500 people on the land every Sunday. They play soccer. They play kickball. They play softball. And we share a message with them. And then we try to move them into Bible studies. So of that, we have 20 teams we've sponsored 20 teams are now in a Bible study at this moment doing a weekly Bible study. They average about 20 people a team. So we have 400 people in you know, weekly small group studies. And this one soccer team is one of our favorites. They are actually in the neighborhood of the community center. So they're from that really rough neighborhood. And three weeks ago today, we actually just baptized four of these young men that are in blue. And we had baptized four about a month earlier. So 
we now have eight of these guys have been baptized um, and, and, and are changing. The exciting part when we, when, we, when we talk with these guys and we share, there's a verse I want to share with you. We're going to read a few verses today, but I want to share with you Romans 12, 2. It says, do not be or do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So when we start studying with these guys, again, rough neighborhood, drug addicts, gang, whatever, um, as these guys start pursuing Jesus, they have a full expectation that they will be transformed. So this verse means something to them. They want to be transformed by Jesus into a new life. And, and that's the ministry we bring, is that God transforms. Jesus saves, and he transforms, and he changes you. As we talk about the rest of the story, so, so we just baptized a bunch of guys in the blue. So the guy without a shirt, his name is Elvis. I've talked about him before and in some of our newsletters. Elvis is a guy that two and a half years ago, he was the guy with the knife that almost planted in our neck, my neck. So we just baptized Elvis this Sunday. So how you see it connecting is that Elvis, a week after he almost killed me, I guess you could say, we invited him because uh, we didn't press charges and it was conditional that he comes out and he witnesses our first baptism. Our first baptism two years ago in our new baptismal, and our new baptismal was built by Velocity. So again, thank you, Velocity built our baptismal. So it was our first baptism, and our first baptism was Yotter. Yotter is the man in the pink shirt, and he's man enough to wear that. So Yotter was a complete transformation. This guy we met through our sports league. He was on one of the teams. He'd show up every Sunday. He was angry, yelling at his team. He was always high, violent. He was a gang leader. Um, this guy was infamous in Granada. Everybody knows Yotter across all of Granada just because violent gang leader, drugs. You want a drugs, you can get it from him, everything. And he came to know Christ. And so we wanted him to be our first baptism. And he was. So he, the reason we wanted him to be first, because he exemplified transformation. The scripture here, be transformed by the new of your mind. Yotter was transformed by Jesus, and we want him to be first because we want him to be the example to all that this is what Jesus does. He saves and he transforms, and we invited Elvis to the baptism. Just met him, didn't press charges, but you need to come to the baptism, and Elvis came. And now Elvis was baptized three weeks ago. Well, the story continues. These two gentlemen here. We recently just started a Bible study with transgender prostitutes. There's a large community in Granada we weren't always aware of. So Jorge, the smaller one in the red, we actually baptized him last year. And he's been trying to pull us into his friends. You need to come meet them. You need to come talk to them. You need to share Jesus with them. And he's trying to, even though he accepted Jesus, you know, we're not always transformed right away. It's a process. So he's been trying to leave this life, but it's really hard. It's really hard to leave this type of community. So he wants us in there working with his friends to help bring his friends, transform his friends so that they together can leave this, this lifestyle he wants to leave. So we're doing a Bible study, and the taller man here in the blue 
we were doing a Bible study a couple weeks ago, and he's sharing with us. We're sharing testimonies of kind of what's going on in their lives and where they've come from. And so what he says is, I want to change. I want to know Jesus. I want to be saved. I want to be transformed. And he said, my brother, Elvis, used to beat all of us up. He used to terrorize the family, beat all the brothers up. He was angry. He was violent. He was a drug addict, and he terrorized. He said, when I saw that my brother was transformed by Jesus, I know that Jesus can transform me too. So we've got Yadr, who was the epitome of evil, transformed. Elvis saw him. Elvis transformed. His brother sees him. It's complete transformation. And this is what Jesus does. But he doesn't just do it to them because we can say, well, look at them. Yeah, they're really horrible. No, Jesus transforms each and every one of us. We need transformation. We just... We, we hide things well, the darkness of our soul and our heart. It's all the same inside. We're all sinners, right? Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all dark inside, regardless of what it looks like outside. We all need saving and we all need transformation. And that's what we're here to talk about is transformation. That's what's exciting. But I want to move now from, from the messages we share with them. And I want to share with you guys what we share with them and the expectation because if you don't share the expectation that Jesus transforms, then the problem is we don't have the expectation that Jesus transforms. And we think being saved is the be-all, end-all. Oh, I accept Jesus and I'm saved. But it's not about just being saved because the question is saved from what and what does that look like? There are supposed to be, if we read the scripture and what the scripture says, there's supposed to be evidence in our lives that we are transformed. You can't look at Yadr without knowing that he's been transformed. It's not only just that he doesn't do drugs. It's how he treats his wife and his kid. It's how he talks. He doesn't, um, he has, he picks up jobs now and then, you know, just because the unemployment rate. He gets a two-week job, a one-week job, a one-month job, a two-month job, a two-week job. I can't tell you how many times this man has not gotten paid for his two-week job. And instead of him getting angry and throwing a fit and hating this guy, he forgives. And he's like, what are you going to do? He forgives and he moves on and he gets another job. This guy has been transformed. How many of us can do that? We can't do that even if we got money in the bank. He doesn't have money in the bank. He doesn't have food in his house. His kid has cancer. She has terminal cancer. This guy has so much going on, he doesn't get paid. You'd think he'd be like, oh my gosh. But instead he's like, okay. He prays to the Lord, he receives peace, and he moves on. He'll ask for help. But he's not filled with bitterness. He's not filled with anger. This is a man whose heart and life has been transformed. Elvis has been transformed. So the question is, what does it look like for us when we say transform, it's not just the drugs, but it's, it's a transformation of heart and life. And so I want to talk about that today because I want to share with you guys. I want to challenge you, not that you need to see a transformation like them, but you need to see your own transformation. There needs to be evidence in each one of our lives of what that transformation looks like if, in fact, we are sons and daughters of the Lord 
and Jesus reigns in our heart. What does that look like? So let's first of all, I'm going to read in James. James chapter 2, verse 17 to 19. It's really simple. And you, know, you know, there's there, what I'm going to share with you today, um, you know, El Gore likes to talk about the inconvenient truth. And unfortunately, what the Bible talks about is an inconvenient truth. And unfortunately, sometimes even within the church, we don't talk about the inconvenient truth, that there is a responsibility that we have, but yet our salvation is free. So let's read in James. He says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. And I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So the demons believe in God, but the demons clearly are not saved. So the question is, if we say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I'm saved. He says, wait a minute, the demons believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and they're not saved. So clearly just believing does not mean we're saved. It's believing and it's acting upon that belief. Faith is an action word. We need to act out of faith. And we're going to look into that a little bit right now and, and, and to what that actually means. So we have a few scriptures. Again, we got about an hour and a half to get through them all, but i got a bunch of scriptures I want to get through. So let's turn to Matthew. Matthew is just a great beginning where Jesus sets the stage and he describes what this faith looks like. So it's not just a belief but our faith, there's really simple premises. So in, in chapter 22, verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So then Jesus continues, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, all of the law. So really, <clears throat> when, when, when we disciple people back home in Nicaragua, I do the trick question, how many commandments are there? So the first reaction is 10, and then some will refer to Leviticus and say there's thousands of commandments. And we say there's only two. There's only two, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Because he says here, all of the other ones are summed up in those. If you're not doing those, you're not doing the others. It doesn't matter. That is it. Okay? So love your neighbor. This ties so closely. We're going to read 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. So, so love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, in 1 John 4, 20, it says, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother... He is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So, so when you put these together, it's like, wait a minute. So if I'm a Christian, all I got to do is love God and love my brother. Okay, that's easy. Well, is it really easy? Because it says if you don't love your brother, then therefore you don't love God. And loving means, he says here, if you hate your brother, well, what is hate? Let's define hate. Hate doesn't mean I'm necessarily killing them. Jesus actually talks about hate in another area. But if I hold bitterness towards someone, I won't forgive them. 
let's face it, it's really hard to forgive all the time, whether it's a spouse, <clears throat> a child, a father, a brother, a neighbor, a coworker. Do you have anyone, <clears throat> excuse me, anyone in your lives that you are struggling to forgive that you haven't forgiven? If you hate your brother, you cannot say you love God. You are a liar. It's really pretty simple. And then he even talks about in Matthew chapter 6, again, it, this is the inconvenient truth of what the Bible is saying to us as, as, as followers of Jesus. It says, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Well, what does that mean? I mean, I was told, and again, each one of these scriptures is a sermon of itself. So obviously, that you could have a 30-week series on all these things. We're just going to cover them real quick. But the point is, how can this say, if I accept Jesus, he's my Lord and Savior, and I'm saved, how can you say I'm now not saved if I don't forgive someone because he's a jerk, and look what he did, and I'm justified? But remember we read that verse in Romans, that we are not supposed to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Well, the pattern of this world says, if you do something wrong, I have a right. I have a right to be angry. I have a right to be bitter. I have a right to not forgive you unless you do all kinds of things to earn my forgiveness. That's what the pattern of this world says. But we're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of my mind that I now forgive period. There are no caveats. It does not say you need to forgive your brother if he apologizes 32 times and gives you alms and buys you a meal at Olive Garden. It says you need to forgive, period. So that's the challenge we have to ourselves. If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, am I doing what Jesus has stated very clear Am I living a life of a follower of Christ? Am I being transformed? Again, we like to look at these guys and we say, oh, easy. No, they aren't just transformed, again, by the drugs that they're not doing or the sex or the violence. They're transformed in their heart and everything they're doing. They're loving. They're forgiving. It's everything about their lives that are transformed. We're going to talk about Yadar again. So Yadar, again, infamous in Granada, knows all the gang leaders. So after he's gone through this transformation, he says, he's, he's now on our leadership team, so we're discipling him. He's on my leadership team. And he says, you know what? I want to share Jesus with all of my friends. So he wanted to start a softball league. Hence, we have a softball league on our land. But it's not a softball league that we started. We support him in it. We do the messages. We do the messages. We do a lot of the administration. But what he did is said, I want to do this because I want to share Jesus. And so he went out and he rounded up 12 teams of 25 guys a team. We had 300 guys coming to the land every Sunday. A lot of these guys doing drugs, whatever. He wanted them to hear Jesus because he wanted them to know Jesus and be saved and be transformed. That's what this guy did. Now, he doesn't do the messages, but he did something. He was compelled to do something, whatever he could do, and that's what he's out there doing. So, so there has to be this response, this action. So let's, let's read more about this response. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This has become a ministry verse for us. So 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says, For Christ's love compels us. Okay, so if I love God and I love my neighbor, I am now compelled. So if I have this love, which I have to have this love, right, to be the Christian, because if I don't have love for my brother, then I don't have love for God. So if I have love for God, I have love for my brother. And if I have love for my brother, this now says I'm compelled. Well, what am I compelled to do? He has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So now, if I love God and I love my neighbor, I have a responsibility, action, to share the message of Jesus. He does it through us. He just doesn't do it through the pastors, through Rob at the front or the team. It's each and every one of us as the body of Christ. It's our responsibility If I love God and I love my neighbor, I am compelled by this love to share Jesus. It doesn't have to be in a formal way. It's my neighbor who's hurting. It's my coworker. It's my brother. The question is, are you actively thinking about sharing Jesus? So there's one thing that really compels me a lot lately. I read a great book. It's called Driven by Eternity, John Bevere. I strongly suggest anyone read it. When we talk about saved, I really don't even like to use this word saved. Saved, to me, is very passive. You know, when were you saved? Oh, he was just saved. The term I like to use is, when was your eternity changed? So these guys here, the inconvenient truth is they were going to hell. And the inconvenient truth about hell is it's for eternity. Now, there are many, there are studies done that 30% of Christians do not believe in hell. Not sure what your personal beliefs are, but 30%. So 30% of you guys maybe don't believe that hell exists. But again, you can't read this Bible without realizing hell exists. Not only does it exist, but it exists for eternity. And not only does it exist for eternity, but whoever is in hell is there for eternity. Just like if you're in heaven, you're in heaven for eternity. And in heaven, it's wonderful. We glorify the Lord. We are in his presence, and we glorify him for eternity. If you're in hell, you're tormented for eternity. So the question is, if you are compelled by love, this message of reconciliation, we are the ambassadors for Christ, it's this, you're saved from hell. And so the phrase I like to use that to me is more impactful is, when did your eternity change from eternity in torment to eternity in glory with God? And that's what compels us. We don't think about that. I would argue most, if not all of you, never think about that. If we think about eternity, not just my eternity and what I need to do, but if I think about my brother's eternity, my neighbor, this guy who's a jerk and I really don't like him, but my God, he's going to hell for eternity. For eternity, he's going to hell. I am now compelled by love. I got to share Jesus with him. Because while I might not like him, he doesn't deserve eternity in hell, but actually he does unless he knows Jesus. I want to read 2 Peter chapter 1. This helps us to understand as I progress in my faith. Again, the word helps us. My faith is not just about accepting Jesus. Remember, the demons believe but they're not saved. So if I'm saved, I need to be demonstrating my faith in action. Well, what does this action look like? In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, 
For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. So, so it starts out with make every effort to add to your faith. So when I accept Christ, I have faith. Now he's saying I need to add to my faith. I need to add to my faith. Because what does he say in the next verses? He actually says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. In other words, you need to be demonstrating an active faith or you need to question if you ever really had a real faith because a real faith is transformational. A real faith in Jesus Christ transforms us. You don't all have to become missionaries or pastors. It just transforms our heart and our mind that I now live for Christ and I will share Christ with my neighbor, with my friend. We need to be transformed for Jesus. Another way we can measure that faith is in Galatians chapter 5, 22. I want to read that really quick. This talks about the, 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 the Holy Spirit. Again, I, I always look to Yadar as, as a perfect example the fruit of the Spirit, so when we accept Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So these are fruits of the Spirit. So just like Peter, where we see this growth in our faith, we get, we get something to target and shoot for right here. If I don't see those in me, I got to question my own growth, my faith walk. So when we see that thing in Yadar, we see he has been transformed. And so for each one of us to love Jesus, to love God and love others, we need to be looking for this transformation within ourselves. And that's what I would encourage you all to do. Challenge yourselves. Look deep within. Self-examine. Do I reflect a transformation? And if not, I need to seek God more. Seek the kingdom first, right? With all, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And until I'm doing that, I'm not going to be seeing this transformation. It's the transformation that saves. So the question is, am I called? Here, here's... Again, many are afraid of sharing the gospel. Many are afraid of the time it takes to get involved at church. I mean, I'm sure this church, Velocity, we, we were here for many years. We always needed people to serve. But we didn't always need helpers. We needed leaders. We need people to step up. You know, just like Yotter. Yotter didn't come to me and say, how can I help? He said, I want to start the softball league. Would you help me? So he led the league, and then a bunch of us came along and helped him. But we need the leaders who are transformed, and that's what each one of us are called to. There's something for us to do that we don't just help. Yes, we can help, but we all need to step forward. So in Ephesians, 
it talks about grace being free is by grace that you have been saved through faith. So that's free. But after I'm saved, I experience the transformation. Well, then what happens? For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Again, the Bible's pretty clear. The inconvenient truth is that he has things for us to do. When we are saved and we are transformed, here's what he needs us to do. And if we're not willing to do it, the question is, am I truly transformed to love God, love my neighbor, and do what the Lord has set out for me to do? Doesn't mean going to Nicaragua. Again, it's different for each and every one of us because it says he has this for each and every one of us. It's customized. It could be your calling is there's one person he wants you to touch. Just one. It might take three years, five years to pray over them, to pray for them, to show them patience. It could be your enemy. It could be your worst enemy. God's calling on your life is to transform your enemy. Love him, forgive him, and it takes energy and patience and intentionality, but your calling is to love him to Christ. It could be that simple, which really is hard, but that's what he customized. So whether it's being a leader here in church, whatever it is, the point is this. The scriptures that I've shared with you today, it's what we've seen here. We have been so blessed to see these transformations. We've baptized about 150 people in the last four years, and everyone has been the most incredible blessing we celebrate and i do have to admit there's some that are our favorites because it we've invested so much and we've seen like yadder like elvis like jorge and soon to be darwin when he's baptized it's like wow to see the transformation is so cool but i just want to encourage you all that this is our goal our goal is not to be saved our goal is to pursue Jesus. And as part of being saved, I now have made this decision that I'm going to make God first. I'm going to love God with all my heart, soul, and mind. And I've made this decision that I'm then going to love my brother. And as part of doing that, love being an action word, I'm actually going to do something. I'm going to share the word. Whether it's with one or with ten or with a hundred, I'm going to share I'm going to love, I'm going to forgive, I'm going to have the fruit of the spirits. So that's what each one of us are called to do. And that's my encouragement to you. This has been something that we've lived. I've learned a lot about grace. We've learned a lot about not judging each and every one of these people here. Um, they've come to know Jesus because we never judged them. We never got angry at Elvis for brandishing a knife. We never judged Jorge and Darwin for their lifestyle. We just loved them. And we told them Jesus loved them, and then we just shared, and we spent time with them. That's it. One day at a time. One word of encouragement at a time. Love and the gospel, the word of God that transforms. And that is my encouragement to each and every one of you is find out what your calling is. If it's one person, if it's some type of service or work here at the church or wherever else. 
is that your faith needs to be active in life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a God who saves, and we just love you and praise you, and we thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for transforming guys like Elvis and Yadar. Thank you for their example, Lord, that we can see them, and we can see the power and know that it is the power of the Holy Spirit that transforms and that it is real. It is these real examples that we see that encourage us about your great love, your mercy, and your grace to forgive our sins. So, Lord, I pray today, Lord, I lift up everyone here that your Holy Spirit will fill each and every one with the power that transforms not only them, but it compels everyone here to move forward in love, to share Jesus, that this neighborhood and this city And this nation can be transformed for Jesus based on the love that you have shown us. We thank you, Father. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. For Jesus Christ, in in Jesus' name we pray, amen.